Hello, and welcome to the first session of Battle Plan, uh, a podcast on spiritual warfare. But today, I'm going to talk about the beginning of my journey that led to some fantastic spiritual warfare stories we'll talk about as we uh, get further in. But today's title is um, Heaven is How Our Journey Begins. I was a business guy. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, um, went to a Christian college, got a business marketing degree, started my own company, um, had 36 employees when I walked away from that business uh, many years ago. I went from a big salary to no salary. Uh, My wife thought I was crazy for a little while. Uh, Why would you do that, she'd say. And I'd say, "Uh, honey, the only reason I would is because it's apparent God wants me over here doing this other thing. So um, how did that happen? Uh, Dad died. Dad died in the summer of 2000. He was only 69. He had a heart attack unexpectedly, had just gotten a checkup, and they said he was fine. And he just had a massive heart attack. He literally kissed my mom goodnight and was going to bed uh, early. She was going to stay up and read, and he slumped against her. And it was over, over in a heartbeat. You're just one heartbeat away from heaven or hell. Remember that. But the journey that that uh, begins with heaven starts kind of strange. It starts with an envelope. Um, after all this happened and we helped mom through the funeral and, and uh, getting dad buried and beginning to start a life without him around, he was the mayor of my hometown when he passed away. He had announced the home football games 38 years and sang the national anthem with the band uh, every week. Um, we started looking for his will. Dad had an office on the square in this small town of 2000, Central Texas. And in the back of his office was an old heavy safe, massive old thing. And we assumed that was where the envelope would be with his will. Well, we found an envelope, but it wasn't the will. It was thick and sealed. And on the outside, in dad's unmistakable handwriting, it was addressed to me and my younger brother. But he said, uh, if you find this envelope after I'm dead, do not open it. It is not important. Destroy this envelope without opening it. The last sentence was all caps and underlined. Dad. And it was dated. It was dated about five months before he passed away unexpectedly. Now think about that for just a minute. If you found an envelope from your dad and it said on it, do not open this envelope if you find it after I'm dead, what would you do? What was in it? Blank paper? Money? We don't know. We burned it without reading it. I know that sounds strange, but you had to know dad. He was so kind and encouraging to everyone. We just wanted to please him. We thought thought through it. I wanted to rip it open. My brother had a cooler head at the time uh, and said, no, wait a minute. You know, let's talk about it because if we open it, we can't go back. And I realized how final that is. Some of the decisions we make each day are final and we don't realize we're making final decisions. We're making decisions that can't be reversed. We're making decisions that can't be corrected. We're saying words that can't be taken back. By the way, that's a spiritual warfare issue, all of those. 
in my case, we did the right thing. We did what dad asked. Uh, no, it didn't have blank paper. No, it didn't have money. Uh, we burned it. We burned the contents and saved the envelope. So I threw the contents in a blazing fire and it was gone in four seconds. You could see dad's handwriting through the back of the paper, but there was no money and there was no blank paper. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't a test. It was seven or eight pages of handwritten something from dad that we'll never know until we meet him again in heaven, what it said. But I will tell you that envelope changed my life and it changed my brother's life. We both walked away from our businesses and went to full-time ministry. He's a minister now in, uh, right now he's in Arkansas. And I walked into being an author, speaker, teacher. That event created a curiosity in me about dad, about what it said, and about heaven. All of a sudden, I realized dad's in heaven, and I've been going to church all my life. I never heard a sermon on what heaven is really like. I've heard about hell, how hot it is, and how bad it would be to be there, but nothing about heaven. So my curiosity was piqued. I went to the Bible bookstore and asked for the heaven section. Now, keep in mind, this was in 2000, five years before Randy Alcorn's book came out, and there were no books on heaven that I could find. I'm sure there was something somewhere, but the bookstores didn't carry anything on heaven. They didn't have a heaven section. When I asked for the section, the lady laughed at me. And so I was quite disappointed. Wait a minute. Heaven is our goal as a Christian, and we don't even talk about it? I think Satan loves that. Well, long story short, this led to a seven-year research project on my part. Uh, I spent two hours a day in the scriptures trying to see what the Bible said about heaven. Uh, I knew it had to be in there, but since there were no books on it, I couldn't figure out why until I started studying and realized how intricate and detailed and complicated this whole topic was. So how do you spend seven years, two hours a day? Well, I had 36 employees, three kids. I was active in church and uh, there's lots of problems when you're running a $6 million a year company. Therefore, my only free time was breakfast for an hour and lunch for an hour. I stopped going to breakfast or lunch with employees or with customers. I started to just go by myself and it became my quiet time with God that let me really delve into what the Bible had to say about heaven. And I want to tell you, it became a joy. I, I couldn't wait till lunch. I couldn't wait till the next day breakfast to read again. And I would underline and color code. I came up with my own color code system. My friends were making fun of me about my rainbow color coded Bible, but I didn't care. I was having a blast learning what the Bible said about heaven. Ultimately, it led to a book. Uh, my first book is called My Search for the Real Heaven. Yeah, you can get it. It's on Amazon, on Kindle, and Audible, and all of that, and, and on my website at active-faith.org. Um, I did TV interviews uh, with local TV stations, lots of radio interviews, and, and here's what they would ask. they say, okay, you've got this book on heaven. There's just not much out there about heaven, and uh, we're just wondering, after seven years of two hours a day, what's the most surprising thing you learned in the Bible about heaven? And my answer was always the same. It's the startling statement that Jesus said about what you have to be like to get to go to heaven. Here's what I mean. There's a verse that says, 
if you don't think like a child, you can't go to heaven. Now think about, think about how a child thinks. You can't think like a child. You can't go to heaven unless you think like a child. If you told a child the story of creation, what would they think? The child would think on day one, God made this. On day two, God made this. In other words, they would just believe it on faith. They would take it at its word. You know, God invented language. I'm betting he used the right words. That's how a child would 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 think. Um, if you told a child the story of uh, Goliath and David, what would he think? He would think Goliath was a real person, nine feet tall, and that David killed him with one stone. You know, someday I think I'd like to write a book called Bible Symbols Always Represent Literal Realities. Because I'm a little concerned that there's so much talk about symbolism in the Bible. And there is a lot of symbolism in the Bible. But there's so much focus on the symbolism, we've taken away the literal realities. In other words, I think Goliath was a real person, like the child would think. But I also think he's a symbol of giants that we will face in our daily lives. There'll be financial giants. There'll be emotional giants. There'll be enemies that we have to strike down to make it to the next level, whatever that is. We have enemies of the kingdom. We have enemies of God that are, that are facing us. We're going to talk a lot about that. But a child would take that literally. You know, uh, baptism is a symbol. And yet we don't just sit on the front row of the church and say, you ready to be baptized? Okay, just close your eyes and picture yourself in the water. Okay, now you're baptized. No, we, we use real water, literal water. So Bible symbols always represent literal realities. Things are happening in the unseen because of what we pray in the scene, for example. But thinking like a child is very different than thinking like a very mature adult who's educated and has a PhD. And you see what I'm saying? And sometimes we, our education is more important than revelation. And I think we need to be careful about that. Okay, so think like a child or the consequences, if you don't, or you can't go to heaven. Jesus stated that flat. You can't go to heaven unless you think like a child. That's a, that's a very startling statement. Now, I learned lots of other things about heaven in scripture that, that were very surprising to me that nobody at the time was talking about. There's a few books now. N.T. Wright has a book that says a lot of the same things I say. Uh, 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 Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, does too. There, there are quite a few now. There were none back then. Uh, one of the things I cover that that's, nobody else seems to talk about much is the pro prophetic side, the prophecy side. I'll talk about that in a second. One of the big surprises was, for me was rewards. Reward. I always thought that heaven was socialistic, that whatever it is we get, we all get the same cookie cutter, exact same thing. And you know what? I, I learned that's not in the Bible. Uh, rewards are based on your deeds over and over and over. That's what it says. Nobody has the exact same deeds as another person. He rewards every single deed. If you just give a cup of cold water in my name, you're not going to lose your reward. Think about the reward of the two servants. One got put over 10 cities and one got put over five cities. You don't see the, the, the point of the story being that they're equal, do you? The point of the story is they're appropriate. They're appropriate rewards for the deeds that were done. Very critical, very important. So rewards are not equal. They're based on your deeds. Interesting. Another big thing I learned was about our new body. 
you know, I learned even a lot of Christians don't believe in the resurrection anymore. The definition of the res word resurrection comes from the Latin word that means dead tissue coming back to life. You either believe that or you don't. Jesus died and he was in the grave three days. Lazarus died. He was four days. You know, he came back to life. Jesus is the first fruits because he never had to die again. And Lazarus did. But we get a new body and it starts with a new body that is resurrected. And it looks like the old body, just like Jesus did and like Lazarus did. And then we learn later in scripture in Thessalonians and in Corinthians, we, we're going to meet him in the air and we're going to be transformed into an immortal and be with Jesus forever. But there's a new body that a lot of people just try to ignore. But God knew what words to use. There's a new earth. Never heard a sermon on new earth. Going to church my whole life. But new earth is strongly emphasized in scripture. Two big Old Testament passages and two big New Testament passages. Lots of details about new earth. I'm not going to talk about that right now, but I do want to come back to that prophecy idea. One of the things that I talk about in my heaven book that nobody else has seemed to notice, at least I haven't found any other books that talk about it, I think it's critical uh, for me, is that prophecy gives us a perspective on heaven that we, we won't be able to get from any other activity. Let me explain what I'm saying, what I mean on that. My insulin pump beep, sorry. Um, when I was trying to figure out how much of the second coming prophecies and about heaven to take literal, I thought, well, the thing to do is to research first coming prophecies and see how many of them are literal. So I'll kind of know what percentage to expect to be literal on the second, which has to do with the second coming and eternity with God, heaven. And so I, I went through the gospels. There's like 119 or something first coming prophecies. So there's over 330, I think, second coming prophecies. So I thought if I can see how many of the 119 are literal, um, then I'll get an idea how to take the second coming prophecies in heaven and eternity, how literal that will be. And this was a shock to me, a big, big shock. Uh, Revelation teaches that the essence of prophecy is to give a witness for Jesus. The essence of prophecy is to give a witness for Jesus. How do we prove Jesus is the Messiah? Prophecy. And so I was expecting the ratio to be like 50-50, half literal, half symbolic. I was shocked to learn that's not true. Um, when you go through the first coming prophecies, hands and feet pierced, not a bone broken, betrayed by a friend, 30 pieces of silver, buried in a rich man's tomb, born of a virgin, rising three days, betrayed by his friends. There's, there's a long list of those. And even though led as a lamb to slaughter, that, that lamb does have the symbol there we're used to hearing about. He was literally slaughtered. His blood ran out on the sand in Israel on Golgotha. So he literally died. So the shock for me was the first coming prophecies are 100% literal. 100%. Uh, if 100% of the first coming prophecies are literal, what does that teach me about the second? I went... What if the second coming prophecies are literal too? So I reread the Bible and especially the passages about heaven and eternity and the second coming. And many, many, many verses made sense that didn't make sense before. I invite you to consider that possibility. Now that doesn't take away that there's symbols in the Bible. Yes, there's lots of symbols, but Bible symbols always represent literal realities. So 
that that envelope from dad, that decision to burn it, um, it changed our lives forever. It was actually evidence of spiritual warfare in my life. What if we had opened it? No life change. My brother wouldn't have become a minister. I probably have never written a book. Wouldn't have researched, wouldn't have drawn closer to God. Big, big changes happened because I made the decision to do the right thing, to obey what dad's wishes were. Now, was it the hardest thing I ever did? Yes, it was probably the hardest thing I ever did. Was it easy? No, not at all, but it was the right thing to do. So I'm going to encourage you that you're facing decisions every day. I want to encourage you to do the right thing. Little steps at the beginning, a little bit, a few degrees off at the beginning means you're way off further down the road. That began my spiritual warfare journey, and it begins yours today, too. So I'm going to encourage you, do the right thing. Do the right thing daily. Every day you're making decisions that draw you closer to God, or you're making decisions that pull you further from God. Uh, my insulin pump, I've been diabetic 45 years. It went off three times in a row during this lesson. This is my first podcast. been planning it for a long, long, long time. I think this is what God's been preparing me for. It was trying to distract me. Satan wants me distracted. He wants me uh, not to tell you these stories that I'm going to tell you. They're going to encourage you and give you hope and help you make better daily decisions. We all need to improve. I've never had my insulin pump go off three times in, in two or three minutes like it has here. Satan didn't want this story told. He doesn't want this to happen. He doesn't want you to listen. He doesn't want you to invite a friend to listen, but we're going to do it anyway. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. I have wristbands that say that now. First John 4, 4. Never forget that. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. Now, the story is going to continue next time, and I want you to be ready to put on your seatbelts because this journey of understanding spiritual warfare, where we're headed now, is, is very exciting, even though there's, there's times it's a little scary. It makes us a little nervous. Next time, we're going to discuss the fascinating question, what if someone came up to you one day and said, God told me to tell you something? Would they have your attention? They did mine. That happened to me during my journey of discovery about a heaven. Uh, that's all for today. Look forward to our next get-together. Uh, remember, keep praying because prayer works. God loves you, and I love you.